Yeah. All right. Let's, let's being jump, recorded. jump right in. I started recording it. Yeah. So. All right. Well, welcome to uh, Raise the Bar. This is the Jump Camps podcast, Sky High and Flight Jump Camps podcast. I'm, I'm your host, Troy Haynes, and I am with uh, a young lady from England. She is uh, eight hours ahead of us and very graciously giving her, uh, her time to us. This is Rosie Sharples. Did I get that right? Sharples? Yep, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Sharples, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, I was looking back on our, our chat, um, and I think I started uh, talking, texting back and forth to you about two years ago. So you were, I, the first thing I remember was asking you if I could post some of your videos because I was impressed and um, you were gracious about that. And then when I got your background info, you were only 16 at the time. And I know there's been a lot of changes, but um, you've continued to improve over those times. And then um, why don't you tell everybody about your um, uh, recent experiences and where you ended up going to school? Because I know you're, you're going to be starting college in the fall, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, obviously, um, over the last few years, a lot has like happened, you know, there's been COVID, um, I've been finishing high school. And um, I kind of based I'm in Scotland, I live between like Edinburgh and Glasgow. So I go to a school in somewhere called uh, Falkirk. Um, I've been setting my exams. So we do national fives and hires over here. Um, I've done well in those. Um, and I've managed to get a place um, at a college in America, Mississippi State University. Um, for the longest time, um, my biggest goal was to get a scholarship um, in America so I, can, so I could continue my academic and athletic um, careers. Um, and so do you want me to tell you a bit about how like that process or? Uh, interesting. I, everybody's in into Mississippi State is big over here because it's an SEC school. So, um, and the SEC, the Southeastern Athletic Conference, is um, huge in football because all it seems like almost every year the national champion comes from that uh, area. It's either Alabama or, you know, somebody that manages somebody has to beat Alabama or it's Alabama. And this last year it was Georgia, and those are SEC schools. So, um, and track and field over here. The SEC conference is very strong, you know, uh, LSU, Arkansas, right? So, um, and most of the other schools, even if they're not super well-known in the SEC, are trying like heck to become well-known. I don't know much about Mississippi State's, you know, track program, but I know it's a, it's going to try to be as competitive as they can. Nobody likes getting walked over by the the powerhouses. So, uh, we know you're going there. It's, it's awesome that they recruited you. And then what are you going to be doing um, – your major and I, you're also, you're not just a high jumper, right? You're a heptathlete? Yeah, yeah. So I am primarily training the heptathlon, um, but my best event is the high jump. Uh, it's definitely my favorite event, um, always has been. Um, yeah, yeah. So what are you going to be majoring in? Have you picked one yet? Or are you just- uh, Sorry. So I'm going to be uh, majoring in social work. Um, originally, I was looking to study in criminology, but it's definitely not transferable back to the UK because the systems are so different. Okay. Um, so social work, the close second for me, um, it's something that I'm very interested in, kind of always, always have been. So you're going to put your time in over here and then go back home? You're not going to transplant over here? Mm, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see how the next four years go. Um, if I enjoy it, there's every opportunity to potentially stay there. Um, if training's going well, um, I do well in my degree have to wait and see it'd be, be a nice option what was the uh was the weather a big shock for you there when you went to visit mississippi state um 
Uh, for the time of year, yeah, definitely. So in March, I think we went over there, it was between 22 and 26 degrees. I don't know what that is in. Um, <laughs> yeah, fair, fair I know. It's got to be in the um, 80s. It's got to be 80s, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so for us, like, it was it was pretty warm. You could feel that it was that kind of, like, clammy warm a few of the days. Um, on the last day, it was a bit colder and it rained, but I know that I'm going to get over there next month and it's going to be, like, yeah, it'll 35, be, 40 degrees. It's gonna yeah, be, it'll be roasting. Yeah. yeah. One of the hottest places I've been, um, my senior year at UCLA, we went to um, SMU for an invitational. So that uh, Southern Methodist University is in Texas. So Texas is one of the biggest states in the union and it's one of the farthest south. And it's it's just hot and humid, man. It was like we were in Fort Worth and it was 85 and it felt like 105 with that humidity. You know, it was just, it was so warm. I, I've told the story before, but I remember I, you know how you have your your warm up sequences all set up, right? So I would jog two laps, and I would do my running drills, my mobilities, and I would you know do some stretches and everything. And I literally jogged a half a lap, and I was in shape. It wasn't like I couldn't breathe, you know. But I was like, after a half a lap, I was sweating so profusely, and just you know, I got done with a half a lap, and I go, that's it. I didn't finish two laps. I didn't even finish one lap. I jogged back to my spot. And I did my drills rather half speed, <laughs> like really shut down my warm up. And I had a great meet. I was warm and loose, but I, I didn't spend any time like I usually would warming up. And, you know, California is warm, but it's not that humid. So it was kind of like warming up, yeah. in Atlanta, you know, it was like warming up. In yeah. The yeah, well, I mean, I think that's definitely like one of my worries when I get over there that the heat is going to be like a bit of a shock to me um we've recently had a bit of a spell here in the UK where it was like 40 degrees it was in London somewhere it was about 35 36 um where right. I live and that wow. is the warmest I think I've ever experienced and that wasn't yeah, humid yeah. heat either so, yeah yeah yes 36 <laughs> phenomenon you know? 36 yeah. degrees centigrade I'm gonna look that up while you talk about something else but um I'm just curious um so let's back up Rosie you um you started your athletic career over there in Scotland did you do anything other other than track and field, what was your first experiences in athletics? Um, so when I was really, really young, I did dancing and my mom was a professional dancer. So naturally I kind of, she wanted me to kind of do that. And for a long time I did, I did like ballet, I did acrobatics, tap, etc. And I did the brownies. I did a, I did a lot of different things, but um, me and my brother, we also did run, jump and throw. Um, which is basically okay. like you know kids like you play games and stuff like at the right. track um, so that was kind of like my first experience when I was really young Um, I want to say like seven like very very young Um, and then for a while we kind of stopped um, but went back to dancing Um, and then I started going back to run jump and throw with a friend and then since then I've just never stopped and I've progressed through like my club um, in Falkirk um, and I just continued on okay so, so I know that I know schooling and everything's different over there. Like the way that we're set up here, we we start school in kindergarten. So at like five years old and we go through what's called elementary school is up to sixth grade. So you go, you know, kindergarten and then six years. So that's seven years. Once you get to be 12 or 13 ish, that's when you start junior high school over here. We go from seven, eight, nine. Some schools just go seven and eight and then some break it up. They go six, seven, eight, junior high and, you know, whatever. So elementary, junior high. You can be done anywhere between eight and nine. So some high schools are three or four years over here. So then you get to that. Once you're 18, then it's college. 
and all that. So um, when when you're seeing your um, when you're in the local run, jump and throw, what was that? Was that kind of like a long jump or a high jump or did they do both? Yeah, so like run, jump and throw is kind of just like the name of it. We um, you do a lot of different things because everyone's really young when you're there. So you do like, um, you know, you'll do a tag or you'll do like um, just um, all these games that you wear the bibs and stuff for, like the mm -hmm. different colored bibs. Um, you don't really necessarily do like high jump, long jump. You do a bit of the throwing of the javelin and stuff, but it's mainly just for fun. Right. Um, and it's just a way to progress. Then once you start to get a bit older, I think it's like uh, about nine or 10, cause you start to compete. You can compete when you're an under 11. Um, you can then move on to the actual like club and you'll start to do proper running and try these different events. Right. When, when you're running and throw, it's mainly just about having fun and just, you know, seeing uh, the different, like you, you see the high jump, you don't necessarily actually do the high jump if that makes right. sense. Right, yeah, I'm, um, I'm curious yeah. though. It sounds like fun. Um, so the other thing that I've noticed, uh, you know, doing all this communicating through the, the sky high and fly jump caps on Instagram is um, everybody, it seems like there's all these under, I see that, you know, the under 14, under 16, under 18, right? And so everybody's got that system set up over there and it's, it seems to go all the way around. Like I've, you know, yourself, I've, I've followed you. I followed some of the, the Russian girls, the Polish girls, you know, the, I mean, whatever doesn't matter what country it seems like that system is pretty well established over there so um when did you start getting to be where all of a sudden you're just like you, you actually started high jumping over a bar and realized that you were pretty good at that yeah so when i was i think it was like an under 13 so i think it was about 12-ish the coach when i finally managed to get into the club um the coach i had um he was called Willie Day. Um, he's still there now. He's a, he's a lot. He's like an older guy, um, and he kind of like did a multi multi events group. Um, he introduced me to the high jump, the long jump, and I remember attempting one forty and clearing it. And I was thinking, wow, I was like, this is great. I was like, it was like such an achievement for me right. um, to clear that low height. And I think of all the events, I just really, I really enjoyed it the most. And I can just really say from there I just progressed and my progress has never been you know 10 centimeters you know 15 centimeters it's always been very gradual progress and um, mm -hmm. generally it was just 140 45 50 55 right um I think when I got to about under 17 I moved coach um because uh, he was a high jump specialist the coach that I have now um and I think he's the one who generally I have to give all my thanks to because he's taught me so much about high jump the technical aspects of it and I really understand those technical aspects of it you know I can mm -hmm. feel when I do something right in the high jump and something that's not quite right right um, what do you guys do uh, this you're kind of nudging into my area here Rosie because I am the guy who wants to know what everybody's doing in their training okay I was a jumper in high school and college I went to UCLA I competed at a relatively high level. I got to jump some, against some really good jumpers. I mean, I only jumped 222. And when I say only, I know there's jumpers out there that go, wow, that's really high. And then once you're around on the world scene, it's like, no, 7.3 is is really nothing. You know, it's like for the guys, you got to be jumping 7.5 or 6. And even that now is really not that great. Like if you jump 7.5 or 6 at one of the world championships, something like that, you're probably not even going to place. In the Olympics last summer, I believe... You know that you had to be 
I think Javon Harrison jumped seven, eight and came in seventh or ninth or something. It was crazy. So, you know, knowing all that, once my career was over, I never even made it to an Olympic trials, let alone to the Olympics. So once my career was over and I was looking, trying to become a better coach, um, you know, and realizing that my coaching had been good, but there was, there were holes, you know, and I, I'm always looking and watching. So when I see somebody putting something on their training uh, on Instagram, my eyes are open, right? I'm watching. Is it a drill? What are they yeah. doing? If I can break it down on video, I will, you know, I've got a little analyzer where I can go frame by frame. And so I'm, and there's a lot of things that I know I've gone to clinics, you know, all these other things. So when I'm watching someone like yourself and you're going, I've got this one coach, I switched to another coach and I'm thinking, okay, you did that. And now you're going to go to Mississippi state. So are you going to bring your coach with you or are you going to switch coaches again? Um, so I'll be switching coaches again. Um, when I went over for my visit in March, um, I met all the coaches over there. Um, I think I remember telling my coach, like when I was a bit younger and I first started training with them, I remember saying to him, like, when I leave school, like, I really want to get like a scholarship. I want to go to the States, train in the sun, you know, good facilities, good, like all these different, not necessarily good coaches, because the coach I had is still good. But, um, uh, and I remember, I don't think he really believed me. I think he was like, oh yeah, yeah. And then, the, you know, the older I started to get and it started to kind of like pro progress more, I was like, mm -hmm. no, no, I'm still wanting to go to the States. So I think kind of once he got a grasp with that, you know, I think he was, you know, understandably a bit upset. Um, but he came over for that visit with me in March. And I think even he was just blown away by the facilities over there, you know, like all the different um, support systems over there for like rehab and stuff. It's just so different from over here. And uh -huh. um, he was just blown away. I was blown away. So. So that's Great. awesome. And then your your high jump, your career best is now 174. Is that right? Is it with yeah. 174? Okay. So I know 183 is what over here, uh, you got to forgive us, the, the Americans, um, Rosie, were incredibly hard headed. I am still, you know, I'm 58 years old. So I, when I was raised early in school, it was still feet and inches and feet and inches and ounces and cups and all that stuff. Right. And so they introduced the metric system to me when I was a teenager and I get it, but I don't get it. Like my brain doesn't think that way. So it's like, it's just, yeah. and, and I'm apparently I'm one of those people that's like, whatever you put in there first, I'm like a duck, you know, like a little baby duck. When the mama duck shows up, they're like, Oh, I'm going to follow her. So yeah. it's like, whatever, yeah. whatever language it was, I think I got taught first and whatever measurement system, those are like it. So I think in feet and inches. So I'm whenever you said one seven four, my brain's like, okay, what is that? I, uh, it doesn't mean anything to I'm, me. I gotta. I'm about like I'm five ten, so it was kind of usually just about my head height, just above it. Right. So I don't know if that helps anymore. Right. Yeah, that's that's a good measure. I uh, this sounds it may sound snooty to some people, um, but I always I don't think you're a, a real high jumper until you start jumping over your own height. So that's yeah yeah yeah. You know I've, I've mean? heard that one before. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, at the high levels, it's obviously true unless somebody's, you know, seven, eight and they're only jumping seven, six or something. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, I remember all my heights as I was growing up by the fact that, you know, I was usually jumping taller than I was. So it was like, I'm like, okay, when I was 12, what was I jumping then? I was like, well, I was only five. One. Oh, yeah, I remember I was, I jumped about five. Yeah. So you're jumping 174 in the high jump. And then uh, tell us, brag a little bit. What did that do for you? Were you the uh, a champion? I I can't remember on on your posts, your feeds. I remember 
you've got a lot of wins under there. Yeah, so um, I'm an under 20, I'm an under 20 in my age group, so I'm 18. The event that I jumped one, uh, 174 at was the senior, Scottish Senior Championships. So obviously all the girls there were a lot older than me, they were all like 20 and above. Um, and I won that event with that new PB and it shot me up in the rankings for my age group in the UK. So it was pretty good, really. Um, I always kind of wanted to get near to that 175 mark. I'm still that centimetre off, but I'm definitely closer. Um, right. So it also gave me the opportunity to be selected for the under tw 20 Manchester International, um, which is like the four nations. So England, Scotland, Ireland and Wales. And there's also a GB selection. Um, I was just short of making the GB selection because um, there were some girls who jumped 176, but um, I was it was enough to be selected for the Scotland team, which was my first Scottish vests, my right. first international. Yeah, so nice. it was really great. Unfortunately, this year I'll not be able to compete in that because I'll be away out in the States by then. But <laughs> I did get oh. the email for the offer, so that's what counts. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a bummer. Um, yeah, making those, any kind of a travel squad where you go somewhere. Um, I have... I have a jumper, Barbara Pachaka, who's uh, in Canada, and she just made the, a, one of their travel teams to go down to the Bahamas. So I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, tell them you got to fly your coach there. <laughs> like, I want to go to the Bahamas. Not, I, I want to see her jump, obviously, but yeah. Um, so you're going to have to, you're getting your travel by going to the States. Um, maybe next year you can do both. Is that the hope there as you continue to improve your marks, you'll still be making those kinds of teams and then you can still still do that. Yeah. I mean, that is the hope. I mean, the long term goal is I want to be selected for that GB vest, whether that be to compete at the GB juniors, which I think I have one more year to do that or, you know, some sort of under 20 championships. Um, what I've been told is that if I qualify for something like the British champs, um, I actually get flown back here to compete, whether that is true or not. That is what the coach told me. So that's pretty good, uh, really, isn't it? Um, yeah, I'd be willing to bet that be the case. Yeah. So yeah, what do you yeah. think that the, would um, take? 175, 176, somewhere in there? Like you said, those those other girls that beat you jumped a couple centimeters higher. And then now you're talking GB, I'm assuming, is all of Great Britain. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. The British champs is like, um, you know, they'll do that's kind of like the trials and stuff. So if there's a big event championships, um, that's kind of like the trial event, essentially. Um, it's not nearly as competitive as the US, you know, when you watch the US trials, there's like, oh, wow. But over here, they do take younger jumpers. So under 20s, people like myself, if you're jumping right. between that 75, 80 kind of range, they will take you um, or you'll get an invite essentially to compete. And it's broadcast usually on the BBC, um, which is like our big tel tele um, tele program over here. Right. Um, so it's really the hope, you know, that would be a really um, great opportunity for me and it's something that I've always wanted to do. Yeah, well, um, was the, this is kind of nudging into another area. So we, we I kind of got sidetracked really quickly off of the, the trainings aspect. <laughs> I, I may have to come back to that, but um, we nudged into this. We talked on another podcast with uh, my mentor and coach, Alan Hankel, and um, we were discussing um, with Lauren Magnuson, who's a, an American jumper who qualified for the trials in 2016 and then I can't remember if she, I don't think she competed. She might've got injured or something happened, but we were talking about the state of track and field, both in the United States and around the world. And, you know, in the United States, track and field is a, a way lower echelon sport when you compare it to 
American football, soccer, basketball, almost anything. It's like we are way down the totem pole as far as, um, you know, fan interest, money, um, TV revenue, all that kind of stuff. And what I had heard all the time, you know, when I was in my 20s, I was about, you know, your age in high school going into college, everything, everybody started talking about Europe. You know, you go over to Europe and it's crazy. You know, the stands are full and they are just about track, you know, and we're always thinking we've never seen that. You know, I, I never saw that until the 84 Olympics were over here in, in Los Angeles. Like we're going to get the 2028 games also, but there's the 2028. Yeah. Um, so we're, you know, when I went to the Coliseum, you, know, you can fit 100,000 people in the, in the Los Angeles Coliseum and it was packed, but that was the Olympics. You know, so um, if it's not the Olympics and it's not a big meet over here, it's kind of like family and friends in the stands, you know, like kind of empty. Yeah. So the long rambling question for me is what what is the state of track and field, both in, in Scotland and then and, and the bigger places that you've been in Europe and, and that and the stuff you've seen on TV? What is it? How's it doing? I've heard it's not as, as strong as it was. Um. Uh, unfortunately, I think that is true. I think in Scotland, particularly, um, just from my experience, um, you know, there's been good and bad experiences. I think the main issue is lack of funding in the system for us. Um, you know, underfunding leads to lack of coaches. There's not that many coaches in Scotland, particularly um, when it comes to field events. Um, I really enjoyed watching the world championships, but I think something that was evident after watching that is that we obviously excel in distance. You know, it was great watching like Laura Muir, like everyone's a huge fan of her here. Um, but, you know, we hardly have anybody in the field events. It's just the money isn't put into the system. And right. I think Scottish athletics, they do their best to give as much opportunities to younger athletes as possible, but the money just isn't there to do it. Um, I think when you go to England, there is more opportunities, there is more money put into the system. And um, there's obviously a bigger pool of athletes, so they do produce just more athletes in general. But I think the main thing comes from lack of funding. And it's quite funny because we look over to the US and particularly after going for that visit in March, we see the kind of opposite, obviously, to what you see. We see a system that seems to be very like funded, you know, track and field is a huge thing over there. Um, it seems to me compared to what it is over here. Right. Um, I was actually reading today, though, obviously it was a 10 year anniversary. I think was it with the London 2012 was the 10 year anniversary today, I yeah. think. Yeah. And I remember when I was younger, I remember that being on TV and, you know, the, the stadium was absolutely packed. And I think when it comes to events like that, the stadiums are packed. People enjoy watching the athletics. Um, so I suppose that's a good sign. But I think unless you get to British athletics, you know, the two systems underneath that, which younger athletes are in, it is just so underfunded, lack of coaches, you know, the distance running is the priority and it's a real shame, huh. you know. Interesting. Okay. Um, so let's get back to you and your, your, the high jumping we've talked about now. Um, how did you get started then doing the heptathlon? If you started out really liking the high jump, is it uh, the way that I know that it works over here? Usually like if someone's fast, then, you know, what, what happens to a sprinter? They're going to end up running the 100 to 200. Sometimes they might get stretched to the 400 just because, if, especially if they've got a really good coach, I think that makes them train the 400, even though they're like, I'm only a hundred meter runner. So you got one, two, four, and a couple relays, right? So if I've got one sprinter, I can stretch them to five events. 
And the more I've been walking, watching track and field the last few years, it becomes evident to me that speed kills. So if I've got a, someone who's fast, I can make them a long jumper, I can make them a pole vaulter, and I can maybe even teach them how to throw a javelin. You know, everything involves that, that straight line speed. You know, you, you curve a little bit right at the end of the high jump, but speed doesn't hurt there either. So it's like, all of a sudden I got hurdles, I got sprint, I got, as I go down a list, I need to either learn how to throw a jab, a shot and a disc for the guys. And for the, the gals like yourself, you know, javelin and shot, you know, do you, you don't have to throw the disc, right? There's only seven no, of them. No. No disc, yeah. which is too bad because I love watching the the world champion, the the gal that throws the disc right now. She's just, I always pictured somebody really big and she's like, you know, she's not, yeah. she's not big. She's fast, you know, and an example, again, she gets you the ring quick. So um, how did you graduate from that? Was it one of those situations like, hey, Rosie, you're pretty good high jumping. Why don't we try this and see if you're good at that too? Yeah, I mean, it was actually kind of the opposite from that. Like in the club that I'm at, you're really pushed into distance running. If you can run, that's brilliant. Most people run. Um, I was just lucky at the time that one of the coaches who was there, that I think one training session, he was like, you know, does anybody want to come along with me and to do some hurdles? And I was like, yeah, that's great. So a group of us went and did that. Um, and I just I ended up continue training with him. Um, and obviously, like I said, he, he was the only kind of person who did all the other events. So gradually he just started adding in all the other events. Um, before before him, I didn't even know what the hips half one was. Um, he kind of just said, you know, that you can do this combined events. Um, you know, the Emirates in Glasgow, it's the big Chris Hoy Velodrome. Yeah. Um, the Indoor Europeans was held there. Um, the event was held there. And I remember I came, I think it was second I came. Um, and it was just, it was a really whirlwind of a day. Like I didn't even know there was an 800 at the end of it. <laughs> like, wow. that was a shock. <laughs> awesome. So, so you started doing that over there. What, uh, when your first, first, first heptathlon was, how old were you? And then was that, was that pretty much your MO after that? Cause I know in a, a regular track meet, like over here, there's dual meets where we go against another school or another, maybe a couple schools that they're smaller meets. And um, I'm kind of losing you for a second there. Might might be having technical difficulties. How are we doing? Rosie's picture froze. We're skipping. All right, we're gonna wait for just a sec. Oh, there you are. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, your picture as well. That was weird. Yeah. Um, what was my my question was um how long and uh have you been doing it and did was mississippi state well let's finish the first how how long uh have you been doing the hep then since you said 14. so um well i kind of i started athletics when i was about 12 13 and then you only start doing the heptathlon when you're an under 17. so i've only been doing the heptathlon for a few years but i've been doing the pentathlon since about under 15s potentially yeah about 14 i'd say 14. so the pentathlon is that's because i don't i know what it is over here over here we do high jump long jump i think they might throw the shot they run the hurdles and like a, a sprint or something what is that what is the pentathlon yeah so i think similar to you guys it's the hurdles high jump long jump shot putt 800s 800 um, yeah, five events one day and then obviously it moves to two days when you get like older right right was uh what's your least favorite of those five? Oh, 
I think it used to be the 800. I used to really struggle with that event, but now it's definitely the short part. It's an event that um, I've struggled with. Um, I've never had specific training necessarily for it, so I really struggle with it. Um, strength is something that is a big area that I can work on. Okay, that was kind of nudging into another area too. I was going to talk about your upcoming yeah. training. So your um, the heptathlon, you went from the pentathlon to the hep. It's only been a couple of years. Was that where where Mississippi State was the most interested? Were they were they seeing huge potential in the hep? Are they seeing you more as a high jumper who can also do the hep, or what was the thinking? Yeah, so um, I'd spoke to a few different schools, um, but Mississippi stood out to me. Um, and the coach who recruited me, um, he was looking at me as a heptathlete. Um, he kind of looked at my times. I think he looked, you know, kind of at my physique, you know, my height, um, and he could see that I had a lot of um, progress that I could make in certainly a lot of different areas. Um, he was familiar with the system over here, so he kind of understood um, that, you know, the lack of coaching, um, you know, like I say, I have one coach, but he's specialised in the high jump. He's kind of like, he's learning at the same time as me um, with the whole like heptathlon thing, so right. all the other events weren't specialised. Um, so with the progress I'd made just with those events, you know, I think he, he could really see how much more I had to give. Awesome. So now we're, we're nudging into the area you've identified strength and I'm assuming upper body strength, but uh, overall, what are you, what are you looking forward to getting as you, as you head over to the fall and you guys start, I, I can give you a little bit of a heads up uh, from high school to, to college. I went to a high school in Long Beach, California, and I, I went to UCLA as a freshman. And when we started working out, I had never worked out that hard <laughs> it was like it was a it was like a squared it was like whatever was your hardest workout was squared so we started training and i don't remember seeing a high jump bar for a while you know we were going in the weight room we we're doing on cross-country runs we we're doing all kinds of stuff and i was just when i would go back to the dorm rooms i'd just be like oh you know falling down get some food in there yeah. you know and then all of a sudden it'd be like Everybody else is like, aren't you gonna be studying? I'm like, no, I'm I'm looking at the insides of my eyelids and my head's on the pillow, man. I'm I'm out because it, it would just kill you physically. So um, what are you looking forward to when you when you get there first? Um I'm definitely just looking forward to having uh, a nice group of um, people to train with, um, people who are definitely interested in the same things he um wanting to get better at my athletics, being quite competitive over here. I basically just train on my own most of the time or just with one other person so having a group to push um to push me forward um is something that i'm really looking forward to just even having a new training set up um i, I think like you were saying you know i'm not going to be used to this kind of training there's definitely going to be drills things i've never done before i'm, I'm going to be out of my comfort zone and in my eyes that can only make me like a better athlete um yeah awesome awesome so now we're going to get back to the, down to the brass tacks. So I, and I, I apologize because uh, there's just so many jumpers to follow. So I can't claim to be um, super aware of the little things, but with your, um, with your high jumping, are you a single arm takeoff or double arm takeoff? Right now I am a single, so I kind of come into the bar and I lean in with my arm. But recently, over the last year, I have been working with my coach um, and he does see more of an opportunity to kind of have that arm punch like this. Mm -hmm. um, it's like I want to do it, but my body doesn't fully do it. Um, 
my coach doesn't encourage trying to purposely make my arms do that if they don't do that he's not a believer in trying to make somebody do it mm-hmm. um I'm kind of like an in-betweeny I do kind of single and double it's, it's really kind of something that we've been working on right okay that's that's of interest to me because I when I demonstrate to new kids I'll show them you know when you're coming into the bar the original I got to do it from the other side if I can show it originally because Fosbury was came from the left I come from the right but he was he would basically do a long jump, high jump takeoff because he never did the lead arm and he never did two arms. He would get to, you know, here and reverse just, and I, I've found that one out of every 200 kids will do that naturally. It's, it's, it's unnatural in a lot of ways for lift. Um, kids who play mm-hmm. basketball and volleyball will learn a lot of times because they're jumping up to grab a ball or to block a volleyball or whatever, or to go to hit a volleyball. Like, for whatever reason, some people naturally will use to, you know, and yeah. I think in basketball, that tends to be the case. And then a lot of times people learn how to jump off either two feet or one foot based on that. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's a real crapshoot sometimes when you, you go running in and I was a double armor. I, n- I never could do anything else. And just recently I've been fascinated by watching the single armors because they operate at really high levels. I liked watching Bondarenko from the Soviet Union. I like watching um, Derek Drown, who interestingly enough would gather like he was going to do a double and then he would yeah. come through in single. You know, So I'm like, okay, what you're, you're messing with me now. But the beautiful thing to me at the high jump is that, like you said, everybody's different. Like when I start saying, okay, this guy's this and this guy's that, you know, I go, some people drive that knee up and just leave it up and sail over. And some people drive that knee up and then they punch their hip up you know and i call those uh, yeah, yeah. hip punch or the hip pop or people that are doing layouts some people that have their heads really far back some people got their chin on their chest you know it's like when i break it down i just go look pick something that you like and let's see if we can make it work because i yeah. i have kind of lost track of this is this is going to sound funny but like one of the things i was i was telling one of my kids one time i go you can't scrape your takeoff foot on the ground right if you're scraping that foot on the ground as you're driving your knee up, it's slowing you down too much. You never be able to jump that high. So I, I don't think anybody could jump any higher than like maybe seven, two or three and be a foot dragger. And then lo and behold, I was at the Mount Sac meet this year, Mount San Antonio College, big meet on this you know West Coast. And I watched this kid who had graduated from Texas Tech. He jumped seven, five and a half. I mean, he must have had a huge hole in his toe from scraping his foot because he scraped his foot more than I've ever seen anybody do it. So I was just like, and every time I make these proclamations, it's like I can just see God up there just shaking his head going, okay, watch this, you know, and here's here's somebody else that breaks your stereotypes, you know, so it's like, yeah. I, when I look, like, I can't say to my kids, I go, this is the Troy Haynes Sky High and Flight Jump Camps system. This is the way we do it here, because mm-hmm. <laughs> everybody's different, singles, doubles. Yeah you know, reverse, like you're saying, you're kind of a half, you know, right in the middle. And then, you know, I'm like, okay, so you get in these arguments with people, you know, what's more effective speed or power? And I'm like, well, power is really force times velocity. So power and force and velocity are all related, you know? So it's like, you're on a different spectrum, you know? So it's like, anyway, it's, it's fascinating. So when you're, when you're looking at your technique changes, um, what are the things that that you think that you do really well? Um, that's a, that's badly worded. What's let's just go. What what are the things that you do really well when you're jumping? 
So I have a pretty good knee drive. If I can get it right, I have good knee drive and I have really good like kind of like elevation off the ground. Um, I'm not extremely springy, but I do have a good amount of natural spring, like if that makes sense. Um, have a good knee drive. Um, something that I've been working on a lot though is like I was saying that kind of like arm because I kind of go to do this double but I'm kind of more of a single sometimes I can lean into the bar and I know everyone has the issue it's the forces you're gonna go right into the bar just because that's that's right. you know the force um but we try we do a lot of run rounds where we try and like obviously lean from the feet so you're leaning as you run around the curve um, and so we've been trying to kind of like hold that lean as long as we can when we're going over the bar. But like I say, I have really good knee drive, so um, a really good hip height over the bar. And I'm pretty good at arching my back. That's, right. I coil myself around the bar. Um, but we've discussed, I've discussed it with my coach quite a lot. You know, when you coil around the bar and you have a big arch, it can also be an issue because um you can everything has to be as you'll know it has to be in perfect timing because you're coiled right around the bar so if one yeah. little thing or you know one millimeter you're out you like hit that bar some way somehow yeah, uh, yeah so. that's that's interesting because i've i've had a lot of experience these last few years with i've gotten two two or three different athletes maybe four um you know jumping about 209 210 in high school um guys that were really bendy for guys, you know, because I was not Mr. Flexible. I was more power. I could jump, but I, I didn't have a pretty layout. I was efficient, but you would never be like, oh my God, look at that guy. He's so bendy. That wasn't me. Yeah. So when I see someone who's like that, it's interesting because sometimes they become what I call layout specialists, like at low bars and everything else, they can pop off the ground and then they punch that hip, throw the head back, and they get in that great position. You're like, wow, that's awesome. And then I'll tell them, I'll go, hey, when the bar keeps going up, you're going to have to wait. Because I, I find that people that are really flexible and really into their layout, it's like their signature move, right? So uh, mm -hmm. you know, what, what I'm preaching to my jumpers is, look, straight, curve, takeoff mechanics, right? Arm drive, knee drive, flight, and... And my experience, the only part of all of these five parts, so straight curve, take off flight. And I always say it like that because it gets longer. Flight, yeah. flight, longer and longer. Layout, still the same. The amount of time that you're over the bar should be the same. You know, it, once you get all the way up there, then you lay out. So I go, look, the only part of all of those that gets longer is flight. All the other ones, as you get more aggressive with your speed and everything else, they can technically either stay the same because if you're running from farther it might be the same amount of time but you're moving quicker but i'm like flight you know are escaping the earth's gravitational pull is it's not going to change that much but you're the more speed you put into it the longer your flight gets and i go you're going to have to learn how to wait to get yeah, your yeah. move right because yeah. if you're super bendy and you're i go what what is the natural order of those things straight curve take off flight layout is last i'm like it's last yeah. on the list and if you put it in the middle because you're like you said that lead arm is taking you to the bar too quick or you're throwing your head back you're dropping your knee too early i'm like you are engaging in step five in the middle of step three and it's not going to work now it might work at a yeah. lower height but it won't work at your peak height so yeah it sounds like that's what you're saying and in essence is that as good as your layout is it really depends on when you decide to use it 
right? And how yeah. long you're going to hold it. Right? So I always tell you this, if you can see this from here, like you see that, that U shape, right? That perfect layout. Lots of times people are in what I call the C, which is like this, because as they're going up, they've already driven that knee down. The head's already going back. And I'm like, this is way too early because you have to wait, 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 right? Now your hips are finally over the bar. And by the time you've waited that long, you're like, I got to be done by now. Drop your yeah. hips and you're right on top of the bar when you do it. And it's like, oh, no. So I'm like, try to wait, you know, until it's, uh, who's the guy that I love watching? Barshim. If you watch Barshim, because yeah. he's a mile out, right? He's like, yeah. he looks like he's two meters away from the bar. So he hits, he hits vertical, he goes up. And then he'll rotate around and get to where he's almost horizontal. And that's where we do a lot of our layout drills. I have people, my athletes laying in the pits and I'll go, okay, now pop your hips up. Cause I want them to learn how to go up and then actually come over and the bar still down here. And then they lay out. Right. And that's yeah. a lot of patience and you got to wait until you're in the right spot. And lots of times you're talking about these great layouts. I see, you know, basically in the wrong spot being too close you know, and that forces a lot of this stuff on people I've found too. I, I've been yeah. dying this discussion for a while. You can tell I'm like orating, but so your layout is good. Your knee drive is good. What do you think is going to improve as you're, you're over here in the U S the, the strength you were talking about when you guys lift, what kind of lifting are you doing? Are you doing, you know, squats and lunges? You tell us what is the typical rosy workout like? Yeah, I mean, so I've only kind of really started properly going into the gym um, over just like the last year. Um, my coach wasn't a huge believer in going into the gym at a young age, which is, you know, it's the right thing. Only just the last year as I've turned 18. Um, but we do, yes, yeah, squats, uh, cleans, hand cleans. Um, I've recently, just in the last few months, learned how to snatch. I don't claim to be amazing at it, but, you know, just with the bar and getting the movement. Um, definitely been just working on my flexibility. Um, so I can score I mean I've always been able to squat right down but um it's something that I've had to work on just my hips making sure I can get right down um we have worked a bit on upper body um but I'm fairly new to the gym to be real um definitely an area that I can progress on and I think you know once I get over to the states I'm going to have a program and there's going to be people in the gym who are constantly helping me um here obviously not some somebody can't be with me 24 7 in the gym right. you know right. saying that technique's wrong that's looking good you know um but I definitely think when it comes to doing these snatches and stuff like it'll be helpful to have people over there who are yeah. trained in that area well there's a lot of uh different lifts you know squats from a power standpoint are easier for someone to just pick them up and do them, but it's also real easy to get hurt, right? So you want to teach good technique and all that. So the the snatch for me was one of the most difficult. It's difficult for me to do power cleans. I like hang cleans. I was better at hang cleans than power cleans. Um, and then a lot of the lifts that you're mentioning, I've seen this interesting trend. So I, I want to make sure we keep talking, Rosie, because I, I want to, you're going to be like my eyes. And I'm like, uh, are you are you guys familiar with the Wizard of Oz? over there that's yeah. that story. yeah yeah so in the wizard of oz the, the wizard you know i am the great and powerful oz and you know there's a scene where dorothy looks behind the curtain and it's this little old man and he's got all these wheels and gizmos and it's it's making him look bigger and you know everything else and she's like well you're just this little old guy you know what what's so special you're not the great and powerful oz i'm that guy that's looking behind the curtain but in a different way not because somebody's faking it but because 
nobody ever gets to see behind the curtain. So I'm just like, what, what is the weight room like in an SEC training room? You know, what, what is going on in there? Cause I know with me, what I learned 30 years ago, geez, 40 years ago, <laughs> I was 18 when I went to UCLA, I'm 58. Okay. 40 years ago. What we learned at 40 years ago was, you know, I was doing squats and cleans and all that stuff. What I've been noticing, if you look on my feed, I follow athletes like yourself, coaches of great athletes and athletic trainers and sometimes systems, sometimes some rehab people because I like seeing um, anything for joint stability and, and uh, a lot of recovery people I follow because I want to see like the knees over toes guy. I got to follow all these people that are anything that I can do to, you know, I need to get more nutrition people, but anything yeah. and maybe sports psychology, but anything and that's kind of what this podcast is about. It's like, how do we become better at what we're doing? What I've noticed is a train, a trend from double leg lifting to single leg. There's a lot of step ups, a lot of lunges, a lot of one legged deadlifts, a lot of one legged RDL and LDLs, a lot of, and I haven't seen much of it yet, but I, I'm envisioning some single leg. There are a lot of single leg squats going on. I, I attribute that to the, the knees over toes guy and, and some other innovators, but I haven't seen a lot of single leg deadlift, maybe a little, and I've seen some single leg hang cleans. And I, I keep thinking, I'm like, you know, the, the only thing that's wrong with the two legged squat in my estimation is we don't jump off two legs. So yeah. Yeah. the power aspect, that's fine. You can train them both at the same time and blah, blah, blah. But one thing that I was taught was that you, you wanna start your pyramid wide and your base training is really, really wide, meaning it encompasses a lot of stuff. But as we go through the season, everything tapers, right? We want to get more and more and more and more sport specific. So how does it relate to high jump? How does it relate to whatever? And, you know, some of those lifts will hit all the events, obviously. But it's like, you know, for the explosive arms, I got my athletes holding on to dumbbells and swinging their arms up or grabbing elastic bands and swinging their arms up. And then I'm like, you get them up here, you got to either drop them or reach. And we start working mm -hmm. that, you know, but it's like when you go sports specific, I keep thinking, man, it's got to be that takeoff leg. And then, you know, I want to really train. Are you, you come from the right or the left? Um, at the left. You come from the left. So your drive knee is your left knee. So like I would be doing a ton of work on that left drive knee hip flexor, right? Get that knee yeah. up. And then do you, do your coaches have you try to drive that across also? Like, you know, cause some people bring that knee up like this and I'm a big believer in that, you know, knee coming around and across on that sharp angle. Yeah. I've never been, I've never been taught anything like that. No, really? Okay. That's a, those are one of the things I've been looking at because in in all of this, when we're talking about double armors, single armors, you know, different types of layouts, blah, blah, blah. I was convinced for years that the, the single armors, I used to think they're just tall and skinny. And that was the only reason they would do that because they didn't really need to jump. My opinion was, as I was watching, I was like, well, they're not even using this arm. This arm doesn't mm -hmm. even count. Like, it's not like I'm driving both arms up to go grab the rim or dunk a basketball or whatever. I go, this arm is just nothing. I go, the backside arm is doing all the work and then the knee drive, right? So I was watching a film of Dietmar Mogenberg. Have you ever heard that name? He won the Olympics in 84. Um, he jumped seven, eight and three quarters, which is, I don't know what, like 236 or something like that, 237, um, which is good jump. But, you know, nowadays, like last year, might not even place, but he was six, eight. And I always thought, I'm like, he's, 
he's barely a high jumper. He's just he's just fast and he's tall. And he was, oh my gosh, for six eight, he might have weighed 150 pounds. He was a stick. <laughs> he was really thin. And so my opinion after watching that, and, and the camera angles weren't great. And you know, I'm biased. I'm watching Dwight Stone's good American jumpers, and you know, we get beat. And here he comes up, and I'm looking, going, Oh, this guy, he doesn't even know how to jump. And so, like, he jumps seven, eight, three quarters, the, the male ego. But when I looked at, I found a video shot of him on Instagram and that knee drive of his had come around. And as you're looking at me, if I'm coming this mm -hmm. way, it would be a shot down the bar of me at takeoff. When I, he hit that knee and I, I can't even imitate it. It was like, it was up and across and I call it cover the hip. Like if you see somebody drive their knee like this and you can still see this hip, they're probably going into the bar, right? So I'm like, yeah. my theory is you got to drive it away from the bar because the speed of your approach is going to pull you towards a pit. So that's where this really stops some of that swing. Yeah, straight and yeah, yeah. That makes sense. So his was like, I can't even show it. I'll have to dig out the picture. One of these days when I have a real podcast, I'm going to have a, some kind of a video where we can cut to the video and go, look at this. And you'd be like, oh my gosh. But when I saw yeah. that, I was like, oh, and that convinced me, like when I watch anybody, yourself as a fledgling high jumper, getting better and better and better, as I watched the upper echelon, single or double, left side or right, knee drive early, pop, whatever, that knee drive up and across is huge. It's one of the yeah. one of those elements that I've seen that I I believe is goes across the board. You know, is one of the things that's yeah. important. So, yeah. although I've I've um I've actually that's the first time I've ever heard that before. So you know, I'm I'm just learning all the time, but I've never actually thought about that before. But I suppose that's a big factor and like you say if you can drive that knee across if you're you know if your knees kind of you're not going to go straight in as much it's going to stop right. you because your knees push almost it's going the other direction yeah. yeah so it's not definitely something that i'll keep in mind actually um but you're talking a lot of, as well about the the drills and stuff for the band you know we do a lot of of this band work um mm -hmm. Uh, we do like read the boxes and stuff we do a lot of like resistance work so the bands are tied around your ankles and then you have either a weight in your hand or the band around your hand and you go to kind of do like a step up right. um and when you get to that that point like top point range where you're like um you're in your knee drive phase you kind of hold it and then you step back down and you do it again yeah and I was lucky enough when I started training with the coach I have now over here um he had the British high jumper um, training in the group and I remember watching him do it and the amount of you know like force he generated doing that right. that's right. kind of you know when I started to realize the yeah. amount of force that is required to do this high jump right. um, but you know like all all these drills and stuff you know um, these knee drives it's, it's a really big part of our training and um, working on that knee drive it's an important factor obviously like you say yeah yeah well it's it's the the box thing I, I really want to have uh, my mentor was talking about doing this and I, I've loved the idea. He's like, what do you think about doing like a symposium on high jumping? I'm like, I'm all for it. Let's get us all there and just start breaking stuff down, you know, from arm drive to knee drive to training to whatever. And I've been, like I told you, I've been watching these box drills. I, when, like, if you're going to do boxes to me, boxes are like a huge area of plyometrics and step ups and everything else. And there's so many variables. There's I mean, yeah. the, the height of the box that you're stepping onto is huge, right? If it's lower, you can get through there quicker. And you, But if you put any significant weight on it, let's say you're stepping onto a foot and a half high box, 
now you got to do a whole different thing because if i put my foot up onto this here and then try to step up my knee is above my hip that's a bad angle yeah right? you have to be really strong mm -hmm. to get your own body weight up a box that high if the box is down here now i can just you know i can step onto it and it can be quick you know and that so what i found is like the higher the box goes the more work switches from the lead leg to the trail or to the drive knee because you almost have to push up first before you can step onto the box right and i'm like and that's not a bad thing because if you think about how you accelerate into the bar that last step is on your other leg right and getting that yeah. quick and all that other stuff it was like i keep thinking i gotta train both you know with my athletes go look try to focus on just your takeoff leg here and let's do that and then other times be like hey let's accelerate in with this foot onto that foot yeah. right with the arm yeah. So yeah, you can put bands on everything as you're doing it. And uh, it's led to some interesting and, ideas on how to create resistance. I know the ancient, yeah. ancient Greece used to do the, the long jump with weights in their hands and run, yeah, and yeah. take off and then drop the weights, right? And you think, man, those ancient Greeks, they were pretty smart. <laughs> that's a, that's yeah. a great training idea. Uh yeah that's actually something we still do in training i mean i don't actually run with weights in my hand but we do the whole kind of like standing and with the weights like that yeah. in our hands just standing um but also about the boxes i actually meant to ask well when i'm in training i was my coach always encouraged not always depending on what we were working on in training you know if we're working on a technical aspect we'll put the height of the bar down low but if we're going for a training when we're kind of you know wanting to approach the bar like in a competition he always encouraged kind of having the bar a higher height you know if you're gonna if you want to jump high heights you need to practice with the high heights you need to see the heights like it's a mental thing as well like you know when you're putting right. a high bar and when we're talking about the boxes um we tend if we were to use boxes we always put the bar to like a high height you know so just say the box is like a 12 centimeter box so you might put the mm -hmm. bar to 185 and so you're t so you're really only jumping about one like what was it 178 but mentally i'm approaching the bar as if i'm going to be jumping one 185 you know when i'm standing back i'm looking at this bar right and, and i'm seeing a 185 jump and um, that's something that was always really it's really encouraged when i'm training is to jump the higher heights is that something you encourage or oh such a great question rosie um i like doing technique work at low heights when you're training for a particular aspect so we're saying we're working on knee drive knee ride some kind of arms, whatever it is, I like to to not have to worry about actually the explosive leg drive off the ground because if you've got to do that first and then get to something technical, that's more difficult because you, you only have so many of those, right? In a in a particular yeah. workout or a meet, let's say, you know, lots of people say you might have seven. I've heard seven is a number, eight, ten, you know, but most of us would prefer to be able to warm up take two or three warm up jumps, open pretty high, get to where I'm jumping close to my best, right? And have three jumps at my new best height ever while I'm still fresh, let's say, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's it's a real game, you know, I, I do, I like to do the technique work low and then like you're saying, uh, run throughs and pop-ups and that kind of stuff, I like to put the bar high, but uh, especially because if that's something we're doing all the time, like two or three times a week, if we're doing run-throughs, I like to say, hey, let's start looking at what you haven't made yet. So like if it was you, I'd be like, put it at 175, put it at 180. 
like you said, you, do you want to jump 180 this year? I'm sure the answer would be yes. You've jumped 174. So 174 to 177 is about an inch, maybe an inch and a quarter. You know, from 177 to 180 is another inch and a quarter. So that's a two inch PR spread out over there. So it's not outside the realm of possibility. You know, and if you said, what are your goals for the season? What is like, I used to do that every year. I do goal setting. So for this season, what would you like to jump by the end of your freshman year at Mississippi State and going to the nationals and let's say all that stuff? What, what would that take and what are you aiming at? Yeah, um, I'm definitely aiming for 180 for the high jump um, minimum and over 5,000 points for the hip. Right. Um, if I can get higher in the high jump, more points, then amazing. That's all in for right. that. But so for me, I would have that bar at 180 for you every day on run throughs and all that and pop ups. And I, I'd be trying to get you farther away from the bar. That's one of my other things. I go the knee drive up and across is big with me and room. You need room to operate in the high jump. You know, if you're going to be running faster and you're stronger than you've ever been and all that, you know, I got taught late in my career that the higher the bar went, the farther out I should be because your parabola changes. You know, you put more speed into the base, the parabola is going to get a little bit wider. And so the peak is here. If you're too close, your high height's going to be behind the bar and you're going to be in trouble because you have to ditch your knee drive early or whatever. So it's a long question, but I, I love it because technique work, you know, um, can be, I, I, like I said, I like it to operate at lower heights. I wonder if there's some kind of thing. See, we're actually over an hour. It's not giving me a time limit, which is good. Um, low work at those, higher work, yeah. And it depends on the time of the season. You know, you're getting towards mm -hmm. the end. You know, maybe we do more of that, the high, high jumps, you know, but uh, the way I look at it is a little bit different. My coach, was a little guy named Baru Elias who is who has left us now. But when I was in in college, he was an, uh, a coach at one of the local junior colleges, and he had two seven eight jumpers in his stable, and he had myself at two twenty two. I don't remember if there's anybody higher in there that could very well have been, but he was good high long and triple. This little Romanian guy, you you are the great athlete. I I am a great athlete, and he's walking around with his little his little loafers with black socks and these little specks, and he was just. He's one of the few coaches I know that I know could never have been a great athlete. <laughs> he was a great coach. And, you know, uh, he had us always, uh, we would do backovers, you know, jumping back over for layout. And then we yeah. would work our way back out every time. It never changed. Backovers, either three steps or five. He didn't do a lot of one steps. I've kind of, I've kind of gone into what I call a zero step now, where you can stand with your lead leg out in front of you and go, and then build backwards. So, you know, in a way, depending on the amount of speed that you have, you can still be jumping high heights because, you know, I tell all my jumpers, I'm like, hey, you need to have a list. You need a notebook, zero, one, three, five, and then full. All of those are basically events in their own. Yeah. So, you know, we're training all those. I go, you, we should have PRs in all those. And when you get to meet day, I would expect all of those to go up. But if you train them and you keep working on them with adrenaline, you know, those get higher. But it's like a standing one step or a zero, what I call a zero when your foot's actually already on the ground and you just go. I'm like, that's hard, you know. And so if yeah. you're five feet or five, two or let's say 150, right, over something like that, I'm like, that's a maximal effort jump. And you're still working yeah. on technique. But the the beauty of the shorter approach work is that you don't put the same amount of wear and tear. You still have to watch your volume because you can, you can still 
convince yourself that you're not really jumping that hard and take a lot of jumps. And then at the end of the day, you know, if you took 25 jumps, even if they're just zero step and one steps and three steps, that's still a lot of pounding, you know, on that takeoff leg. So I like to work, you know, like you said, it's a complicated question. And, and I understand the reason for the thought process. Um, yeah. The last thing I'll mention about that is I think when you're, you're operating at your higher levels. So let's say you're, you're training at Mississippi State now and you're starting to take reps in practice at 177. If you're not making it, and that happens a lot, that can be a kind of a, it can hinder some people if they, if they're always trying to jump a new PR in practice, I'm like, in my estimation, practices weren't made for higher heights and, and PRs. You know, I, I think I jumped seven foot once in practice. I was having a particularly good day, but I don't remember ever jumping that high in practice to where I was trying to push the envelope in practice. I would rather save that adrenaline and all that for a meet. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a think, question. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, I mean, more recently, I think as I've started, I think as you start to jump the higher heights, you know, it used to be uh, my, my personal best was 160. I used to be able to jump like, you know, one, 160 in training. It was like, great. Like I'm jumping 160 in competition. I'm jumping 160 in training. This is great. And, you know, my coach told me, he was like, you know, eventually you'll get to a stage where, you know, you're going to be able to jump like 174, but you're not going to be jumping 174 in, in training. And, you know, for me, for a, for a while, that was like a mentality thing because I didn't understand that, you know, I'm operating, like you say, in competition at this maximum level of drill and this, like, you know, all going through me. And so I can jump these higher heights and I, I just couldn't understand, you know, like, why can't I jump 174 in training? Like, that was something that I just couldn't get my head around for a really long time. So, you know, I, I mean, I get it now, you know, and my personal best, like you say, is 174. I think I've been very close to jumping 170 in training and but it doesn't get me, it doesn't get me down as much anymore. Um, but it's just like you say, you know, I, I've been, I've gone into training so many times now where, you know, I have knocked down the bar and I, I, I personally like to push myself in training, not every training session. It's very, we'll do the odd one where I do push myself more right. and it results usually in me, knocking, in me knocking down the bar, but I like to see that. And I like to, I like to push myself so when I get into competition it's like this isn't uncomfortable for me because I've attempted this height so many times or this is just this is just like being in training except I feel 10 times better because I've got this adrenaline you know so I don't does that make sense you know yeah yeah I I understand it completely and uh the the idea that I have is that our brains are amazing, right? I, I go, your brain's the supercomputer that operates all of your systems at once and when it switches into athlete mode I'm like that's space and time awareness, um, angles and vectors and all that stuff is in there. I think a lot of things are almost even pre-wired, like your body knows how to do them. Now, obviously some people are more coordinated than others. So you might think I know how to do this, but I can't do it. But I'm like, for a for high jumping, which is a, an amazingly complex skill that involves all these things we're talking about, like driving your knee up and then leading it up and riding up. I, I like to leave it up there and ride it up to the top floor where the bar is and then boom, hit the layout, right? So you go, that is a specific skill set and timing thing mm. that I, I believe every single jump you've ever taken is in the supercomputer and all of the results and all of the, uh, you know, there's, there's things in your body that um, kinesio receptors, they call them proprioceptors in your body that measure angles and speeds and vectors. And, and the way that it felt, the way that you saw it, the way that you heard it, the, 
the emotions of that day, all of that stuff is in there. It's just amazing. And then yeah. there's, there's a simple amount of timing of from when I left the ground to when I got to my peak height and when I threw my head back. And so uh, there were heights, Rosie, that I tried. Uh, I remember I jumped at 220, I don't know, 25 times before I ever made it. I, I have no, re no idea why, but to, and it wasn't, I don't remember being scared of it. I don't remember anything, but it was like 220 was a difficult flipping height for me, but 220 or 218, I think 218, right? There's seven two, seven two and a quarter, seven two and a half. So 218, I made a bunch of times. 219, I made once and it was my senior year at UCLA and it was the day that I did a double PR. So I went 219 and then I made 222. 222 was my second attempt. I didn't have this great repertoire of I how to jump at 222. I took one really good jump and almost made it, and then I made it. That was it. And I don't remember ever jumping at 222 again. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. I jumped at 225. You know, so I think all those things are in there. And then, you know, sometimes it takes a while to learn the time. I'm just going to say the timing. It's going to take a while to learn the timing, right? And the time and the space how far away I need to be, how long I need to ride that knee drive before I do that, right? How long do I hold that position before I pull? All of those things are in there. And so I think it's what I call jump memory. I need to write a book on it, but yeah. it's like your jump memory is gonna just continue to grow as you continue to improve and you continue to take yeah. jumps at higher and higher heights, right? Cause they'll be in there and there's gonna come mm -hmm. a time where you'd be like, you know, if I would have just done this a little bit longer and, and we're, we're talking about it in the high jump. Sometimes I tell my athletes, I go a little bit longer could be a hundredth of a second. Yeah. Literally. If I could ride that knee drive for a, a, a hundredth, I mean, a tenth of a second is a long time in the high jump. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Things yeah. happen pretty quick, right? <laughs> well, listen, I know it's no, getting yeah. late there. Um, I, I don't want to keep you longer. I, I would talk to you for another hour, but I, I know that's uh, my, my computer's running out of power. And the days are getting longer and you've been very gracious with your time, but I, I want to extend the invitation again, Rosie, to get you back. You are just a ton of fun to talk to. And I'm a big, big fan of yours. I want to see, see everything. I want to know where you're jumping. If I can ever get away from California and get to an SEC track meet, it's going to be to see you in your first, either both heptathlon or are you going to do both the heptathlon and then compete every once in a while open in the high jump as well? Or is it all hip tap? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's my goal. I'm obviously primarily going to be competing in the hip, but if I'm good enough to do the high jump for them, which I'm hoping I am, I'm hoping I'm just going to be the representative for that as well. All right. Well, I look forward to hearing all about it. Um, you know, and, and I know, find out what the rules are from your coach and everything. But if I can post any of your videos or, or support you in any way, you let me know. All right. Yes, for sure. Well, it's been great chat and thanks for having me. Hopefully I didn't um, mumble on too much and um, have a record <laughs> for doing that sometimes. Well, I'm I'm the chatty one. I, I think I a couple times there I'm like, did I breathe? Was that five minutes? Okay, so <laughs> you get me going on a topic and, I, and I'll chew you off. But uh, I appreciate your time, Rosie, um, and you've been very gracious. And like I said, uh, I want to get you back on here anytime and find out, you know, maybe we can do a, um, you know, a, life according to Rosie or, you know, how are things in the SEC or, you know, like what, are, what was that first work, 
weight workout like, you know, something like that. So yeah. it'd be great to have you as a recurring guest if you can find the time between your training and your studies <laughs> and a social life. Yeah. All right. Well, For thank sure. you again, Rosie. Yeah. All right. Yeah, thank you. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. That was Rosie Sharples. She is an 18-year-old freshman entering. Um, she's at Mississippi State. She is a 174, 1.74 meter high jumper. She's a heptathlete. And um, she's uh, just getting ready to get over here to the U.S. and start training. So we're going to be keeping the, our eye on her and uh, have her back here maybe for a, another podcast here in a couple months and see how her season's going. But uh, really great to hear the insights and the questions and the, the curiosity and the hunger to get better. And um, so that is it for the Raise the Bar podcast with Rosie Sharples from Mississippi State from Scotland, all the way from Scotland right now. And uh, we will be seeing you soon. Uh, look to another uh, episode coming up with uh, my good friend, Rodney Van Jr. We're gonna do our special UCLA episode with a guest. Our guest I'm gonna announce right now is Maurice Jones-Drew, former uh, UCLA great running back, former NFL great running back, and now uh, major uh, celebrity on the NFL circuit. I know he works out here on the coast calling football games, does a lot of studio work, and uh, really for looking forward to getting uh, him on here and talking. Uh, we we'll, might digress a little bit from our uh, track and field roots. However, Maurice Jones-Drew, since he was a fast running back, you may or may not know this, he made it to the state finals in the 100 meters and competed against Reggie Bush if I remember my facts correctly. But if I don't, I'm sure he'll correct us. So uh, we're looking forward to that. We'll see you soon again here on Raise the Bar. I'm your host, Troy Haynes from Sky High and Fly Jump Camp signing off. Until next time.